Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis, or excuse me, Acts chapter 2. We're in Acts, not Genesis. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to look at one of the most interesting yet controversial passages in all of Scripture. The day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is poured out on that early group of disciples, and things change. If you'll remember where we're at in Acts, Jesus had been with the disciples for over 40 days after his resurrection, and then he zooms up into heaven, he ascends into heaven to the right hand of the Father, and he says to wait. He says, wait for the promise of the Father. And who is that promise? That's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So who is that power? That's the Holy Spirit, and you'll be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, today, before I read this passage, I want to divide my sermon into three parts, because whenever you talk about the Holy Spirit, man, there's so much baggage a lot of us have, (laughs) you know, so much confusion a lot of us have. And so I want to start out, before I read this, by talking about just some general facts about the Holy Spirit to give us the context of the Spirit, and then I want to talk about what was life like before the Spirit came, before Pentecost. And then we'll read the Word, and then we'll look at, so what? How does that make a difference now that the Spirit has come? So are you ready? Are you ready? A few of you are ready. Let's do this, all right? First part, some general info on the Holy Spirit. And could I have someone flip that light that has the blue tape above it? Could you do that, Brian, real quick so they can see it better? Thank you. Awesome. We want to look at some general info on the Spirit to put it in context what we're going to be reading today. First of all, He is a person. He is a He. Spirit is not an it. It's not the force, but a He. And In fact, as you read Acts, we know this, because if you look at Acts 5, when we get to Ananias and Sapphira, which will be a really strange passage, you know, Peter's going to say to them, you guys have lied to the Holy Spirit, and you can only lie to a person, you can't lie to an it. In Ephesians 4.30, Paul says, do not grieve the Spirit of God. You can only grieve a person. You can't grieve in it. So whenever you talk about the Spirit, if you refer to him as it, I'm going to look at you like, come on now, he's a he. (laughs) Second thing, he is God. We believe in this crazy concept called the Trinity, which we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. One God, but three persons. Well, the Spirit is just as much God as the Father is and the Son is. He's distinct from both, but He's one with them as to essence. Now, how many of you knew that? Of course, right? But it seems like when it comes to the Trinity, we know a lot about God the Father. We know quite a bit about God the Son. But then when it comes to God the Spirit, there's so much confusion. But where one acts, all are. He is just as much a part of the Trinity as the other two. And then finally, some titles of the Spirit. The Bible refers to the Spirit by a lot of things. In the book of Acts, there's a few. He's called the promise of the Father. We saw that in chapter 1. Wait for the promise of the Father. He's also called the gift to us. Next week we'll see that Peter will say, repent and receive the gift of the Spirit. I mean, it's Father's Day, thinking of gifts. One of the best gifts you can get from our Heavenly Father is the Spirit. Another thing he's called is he's called power. You will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be his witnesses. And then I need your participation here. But in the book of John, just before Jesus goes to the cross, he spends a long time talking about the Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16, and 17. What are some titles that are used of the Spirit, do you know? Do you remember? Counselor? He's a teacher called the Spirit of Truth. What's that? Comforter? Yep. Mm -hmm. He's also called our Advocate. And so I put all four in one. Helper, Counselor, Advocate, Comforter. Because when that word is translated in English from the original Greek, it's hard to know how to translate it because the original word is paraclete. Say that word, paraclete. Not parakeet, but paraclete. (laughs) And that's from the Greek word parakaleo, which is the word para, which means alongside, and kaleo, to call. So even from that word, you kind of get a sense of what the Spirit does. He comes alongside of us, and he calls us, to do certain things. So that's why English translators have a hard time translating it because he's our helper coming alongside of us, but he's also our counselor telling us what to do and leading us and guiding us and calling us, that kaleo aspect. He, he's also our advocate, kind of like a, like a defense attorney, you know, before the Father. He's also our comforter. So when English translators are struggling to know how to translate it, that's because the original word is rich and nuanced and multifaceted because the Spirit is such. And then the last title, someone mentioned teacher. He's the spirit of truth. He reminds us of truth. In fact, he told the apostles that, you know, Jesus said he would leave and then he would send the spirit of truth. And his role with the apostles was to remind them about Jesus so they could write down this thing called the New Testament. And then he has a secondary role in us to remind us of truth as well, that as we read scripture and as we think throughout the day, he reminds us of truth. So... This is just my first part of the sermon, and some of you are like, man, that's a lot for just the first part, but hold on, we're going to go to the second part. Here's some general info, but let's talk about the Spirit prior to Pentecost. How was he active? Well, several things. Really, I I call it the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Number one, he was active, and he was powerful. How many of you knew that the Spirit was active in the Old Testament? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, right from the beginning in Genesis 1-2, guess who was hovering over the surface of the waters? The Spirit, ready to create and to be involved in God the Father's act of creation. And then I put the book of Judges. We went through Judges as, as part of our D groups, you know, a while ago, and it was really strange stuff. But remember the Spirit would come upon guys like Samson and Gideon and Jephthah and Barak, and he would empower them for service. So he was active, and he was at work in the Old Testament. But number two, his ministry was not complete. He wasn't as active and as complete as he will be in the new. For instance, his ministry was temporary. I call it a coming and going ministry. He would come, and then he would go. He would show up, and then he would leave. And I put a couple references there. 1 Samuel 16, 14. Remember King Saul? In 1 Samuel 16, 14, it says, The Spirit of God departed from Saul. Because he wasn't following the Lord. And then I put another one up there too. Psalm 51. King David prayed after he committed murder and adultery. He said, take not your what or who from me, really. Your Holy Spirit. Because David knew that God could withdraw his spirit from him. So the spirit would show up, but he would come and he would go. Which is different than today. Secondly, his ministry was more selective. He would only come and go on certain people. 
If you were just kind of an average run-of-the-mill person, you're not getting the Spirit. (laughs) But if you're a prophet, priest, king, a leader like King David, then the Spirit would often come on leaders. And we saw that in Judges with like Samson. I have Judges 14, 19 up there. And Gideon and all those guys. He was selective. Very rarely would he come on an average person in the Old Testament. Then the final thing. He would often come on people, but not in people. He would come on, they would be clothed with the Spirit, but he wouldn't come in. Now this is different than the new, which we'll look at in a little bit. But safe to say the Holy Spirit's activity in the Old Testament was, he was active, but it wasn't, it wasn't complete. In fact, the Old Testament prophets looked forward to a day when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on everybody. And we're going to see that next week in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, on really the greatest sermon ever preached. <laughs> he preaches, and he quotes from this guy named Joel in the Old Testament. And Joel said in Joel 2.20, and I'll read just part of it, Joel prophesied, it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So the Old Testament looked forward to that day when God would pour out a spirit on everyone. I also have the book of Numbers up there as well, Numbers 11. Moses said that he wishes that the Lord would put his spirit on all so they could prophesy. If you know that story, the spirit comes on 70. And Moses says, I wish it came on everyone. So they would prophesy. So the Old Testament looked forward to a day when the Holy Spirit be poured out on all. But wait, there's more. (laughs) The second thing, the Old Testament looked forward to a day when the Holy Spirit would indwell people. Not just beyond them, but in them. Anybody ever read the book of Ezekiel? Great book. He prophesies in Ezekiel uh, 36, God is saying through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the Old Testament looked forward to a day when there'd be a universal spirit on everyone and also an indwelling spirit, number two. But the third thing it looked forward to was that the Holy Spirit would anoint and empower the Messiah. That a ruler would come in the line of King David who would bear the spirit. And I have Isaiah 11 up there. Let me read just part of it. This may be in your bulletin too, Isaiah 11, verse 1. Isaiah says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, that's King David's son, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge judge by what his eyes see. And, And on and on he goes. So, Who do you think Isaiah is talking about there? Jesus, yeah. In fact, as we fast forward to Luke, who came bearing the Spirit? Who was anointed by the Spirit? Jesus was. We saw in Luke 3 and 4 that when Jesus is baptized, the Spirit descends on him, and then he's led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. It keeps saying that in Luke 3 and 4. So the Old Testament looks forward to a day when the Holy Spirit be poured out on all, he would indwell people, And he would anoint and empower the Messiah. So are you with me so far? How many are not with me? Would anyone admit that? That's okay. (laughs) But now, that's all background. Let's read Acts 2. I wanted to give that context, because whenever you talk about the Spirit and you read a strange passage like Acts 2, you need to have some context to how the Spirit acted before this. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and following. Let me read this. 
It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That's the 120 believers from last week. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed, <coughs> excuse me, and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. And that's our passage for today. It mentions in verse 1 that it's the day of what? Pentecost. That comes how many days after Passover? Anyone know? 50. The word penta means five, and it's, it's a Jewish feast that the Jews would celebrate 50 days after Passover. And in this particular feast, they would celebrate the beginning of the grain harvest. As they harvested their grain, they would offer some of it as first fruits to the Lord. It's also called the day of first fruits. Which is really interesting because in our passage today, we're going to see a harvest. Actually, next week, we're going to see a harvest where how many people does the Lord add to their number in Acts 2? 3,000. So we're going to see that day of first fruits fulfilled in a different way than it was in the old. Another interesting thing about this day, over time it came to be known as the day when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Well, here on the day of Pentecost... Who is God going to give them? Or who did God give them? He gave them the Holy Spirit. The law is a great thing he gave them. It shows them his will and you know, who he is. But now he gives them something even greater, his spirit. So I think it's very fitting that the Holy Spirit comes when he does here on the day of Pentecost. And he's poured out on these 120. And a lot of strange things happen. And many Jews who are gathered there to celebrate the feast from all over the place are confused. Some are amazed. Some are saying they're tipping the bottle too much. What does all this mean? Well, I want to talk about now, as we go to my last part of my sermon, I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit has made all the difference for us now. He acted one way in the Old Testament, but here with His coming, He's acting differently. And it makes all the difference for us now, here in 2015 in Lima, Ohio. So I have four things I want to go over. The Holy Spirit's coming has made all the difference for us now, and there's four reasons why, or four reasons how, you could say. First of all, since the Holy Spirit has come, it means that God's presence and glory are available to us now. Since the Holy Spirit has come, it means God's presence and God's glory are available to all of us right now. Look back at verses 1 to 4. I'll try to argue this point. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens, right? 
In verse 2, what, is, what does it sound like when the Holy Spirit comes? It sounds like wind. And then in verse 3, it says, tongues as of fire came on each one of them. In verse 4, it says, they're filled with the Spirit, and then they begin to speak another what? Tongues or other languages that they didn't know previously, but the Holy Spirit equipped them for to share, to proclaim the mighty works of God to those gathering. So you have a lot of weird stuff. Wind, fire, tongues. You know, I was thinking about this stuff. It, it really sounds like something from a Lord of the Rings movie, doesn't it? <laughs> you know? Or I see my brothers here today. When my brother and I were growing up, we'd watch this cartoon called Captain Planet. Maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about, but the main characters would have earth, wind, fire, and they would combine their powers together and make this being called Captain Planet. Well, that reminds me a lot of that. And heart, that's one of them as well. <laughs> Good memory, I forgot. <laughs> Maybe the Holy Spirit brought that to your remembrance today, right? Yep. <laughs> That's right. But more is going on here than just that, right? More is going on here than just Captain Planet or Lord of the Rings. But each of these things that show up, you know, it's not like God is saying, you know what? Let's add some sound effects here to make it cool. Wind. Let's make it look cool. Let's put some fire, you know? Oh, let's make him speak in tongues. That's really cool, you know? It's not like God is a director, But there's a reason why he has each of those specific things show up. They all have biblical references back in the Old Testament. For instance, wind. Does wind ever show up in the Old Testament? Absolutely. In fact, remember the Bible was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New. And the word for wind in Hebrew or Greek is the same for spirit. And so in Hebrew, the word for wind and spirit and breath is ruach. I love Hebrew because there's a lot of... You talk with the back of your throat, burach. There's a lot of shahach. And so the wind for wind and, and spirit is burach. And then in the New Testament, the word for wind or spirit or breath is pneuma. And so whenever that word shows up, sometimes translators are like, I'm not sure if I should translate it wind or spirit or breath. But, but really, you know, they're kind of interchangeable to some degree because whenever God's wind or God's spirit is active, that's his creative power, that's his creative ability recreating things. For instance, in Genesis 1-2, it says the spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep. You could say the wind was hovering over the deep. But either way, it's God's creative power creating this world. Or in Ezekiel 37, when Ezekiel has a vision of dry bones being restored and resurrected, God tells Ezekiel to breathe on these bones that they may live. You know, give your, give your spirit, give your wind that these things may be created just like in creation and live. Or if you remember John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking with the Pharisee Nicodemus, you know, he says, you must be born again by the Spirit. And then he says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, isn't that interesting that Jesus talks about both the wind and the Spirit together? Because just as God was active in creation and with the vision of dry bones, now he's a new creation, recreating us by his Spirit to be part of his children. And so when God's Spirit blows like it's blowing here on the day of Pentecost, it shows that God is moving in power, He's giving life, He's creating them or recreating them into something new. Another phenomenon is fire. It talks about in verse 3, divided tongues as of fire appeared and rested on each one of them. Do we ever so- see fire show up in the Old Testament? Absolutely. In fact, in Exodus, especially the book of Exodus, How does God appear to Moses in a burning bush, fire? Or when Moses gets the the law on Mount Sinai, 
You know how God shows up? In Exodus 19, it says God shows up and he wraps the, the mountain in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Or at the end of Exodus, it says that God is leading his people through the desert and he leads them with a pillar of fire. So God's fire in the Old Testament often symbolized his presence, his very self. And, and often the Israelites were terrified of this. And so, isn't it appropriate on the day of Pentecost that one of the things that shows up is fire? Because it symbolizes that God's very presence and power is with them, just as he was with the people in the Old Testament. Although in a new way here, because it's resting on each one of them. And then there's that speaking in tongues, which we'll talk about a little bit today and more in our series in Acts. But this is incredible so far. I mean, think how amazing this must have been to the early believers. They know that God showed up in wind and fire in the Old Testament. And they're there praying, and they hear wind, they see fire. They should hopefully be making these connections that the same God who showed up in the Old Testament in a very visible and powerful way is now showing up on each one of them. Isn't that crazy? In fact, in the Old Testament, when God showed up, there was often fear and terror and shaking. You know, it's said that you cannot see God's face or be in God's presence and live. But now, since the Holy Spirit has fallen, He is available to each and every one of them. And He's also available to each and every one of us. I mean, isn't that crazy? <laughs> you think of how many people had access to God in the Old Testament. And, you know, I guess everyone did to some degree, but there were degrees of people who had access to God, you know. The prophets seemed to, but... And the priests seemed to, the high priest one day a year, but the average person didn't seem to as much. But now, with the Holy Spirit's coming, everyone can have access to God's glory and God's presence. You know, we get so used to this. But when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, what did he say? He said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. You know, when Jesus came in John chapter 1, John says, we have seen his glory because we saw that same glory that was in the Father now in Jesus. But, but even Jesus' presence was limited. Now that the Spirit has come and rested on each and every one of them, everyone can experience God's presence and God's glory. Now, I don't know about you, but I forget that. <laughs> you know, it's not every day I wake up and I think, wow, the Holy Spirit is on me because of Jesus. Isn't this a great day? <laughs> No, usually the first 10 minutes of my day is like, man, it stinks to wake up again. <laughs> Can't even wake up. <laughs> but how would our life change if we were aware of this reality that God's presence and glory are available to us now, every day, now that we're on this side of Pentecost? Let's go to the second point. I said the Holy Spirit's coming has made all the difference for us now. How else does it make a difference? Well, number two, it means that all of us can now be filled with the Spirit in other words, in point one, not only is God's presence on us, but now in point two, God's presence is in us. We're filled with the Spirit. This idea of filling means that it's inside of you. And if you'll permit me a kind of a cheap illustration, one of my favorite things is donuts. And one of my favorite things inside of, inside of donuts is cream filling. How many of you like donuts with cream filling? Because that cream filling is internal. It's inside of it, Right? Well, just like that cream filling is inside of the donut, so now the Holy Spirit is inside of us, making us oh so much better, just like it would a donut. <laughs> now, that's kind of a cheap and funny illustration, but in all seriousness, you know, this isn't just something that happened to the 120. 
This is something that happens when you believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside of you. (laughs) There's a great book out by J.D. Greer. And one of the things he says, and it's a great phrase that stuck with me, is he says, the spirit inside of you is better than the Jesus beside you. You hear that? The spirit inside of you is better than the Jesus beside you. And what he's saying there is, a lot of times we think if we could just live during the time of the apostles and see Jesus and touch him, that'd be so great, and it would. But remember, Jesus was limited by time and space when he was on this earth. When he ascended, he made God's presence available for all. And not just beside us, but inside of us. You know, you actually become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, we take that for granted, but remember in the Old Testament, when, when people wanted to encounter God's presence, they had to go to the temple. But they couldn't even go inside the temple, because only priests could go in the temple. And the high priest could only go in the most sacred place in the temple, and that was once a year. You know, all of this was saying there's distance between you and God. You had to follow His way. But now that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are a temple, a holy place. God's Spirit is living and dwelling inside of you, which to me is just mind-boggling. Now, you may have some questions here before I go on to point number three, and I'll try to address these as we keep going, but let me just initially address these. There's a lot of debate. When does this filling of the Holy Spirit happen to believers? Some say it happens like it does to the disciples, that you believe in Jesus, and then like so many days later, you get the Spirit. They say, look at the disciples. It happened to them. And then others say, well, no, 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 that's not true because that was a unique time and we get the Spirit when we believe. Right when we believe. And this is getting at that whole descriptive versus prescriptive thing. Remember that language I used the last couple weeks? Is this merely describing what happened and, you know, we don't repeat it today or is it, or is it prescriptive, you know, not only describing it but telling us this is the way things should be. Well, it's kind of a little bit of both, <laughs> When do you and I get the Spirit? Well, I believe we get the Spirit when we believe. Right at that moment, we are filled with the Spirit. You know, next week in Acts 2.38, Peter is going to say, Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he seems to be suggesting that you get it right then and right there. Or if you're still not convinced, look at 1 Corinthians 12.13 sometime. But Paul will say, You were baptized by the Spirit into one body. And when did you become a part of Christ's body, the church? When you believed. So you received the Spirit, you're baptized in the Spirit, you're filled with the Spirit. You can interchange that language the moment you believe. Well, then you may say, well, what's up with the disciples' experience? Well, it was a very unique experience. Remember, the book of Acts is very transitional. And there's a lot of things we do repeat, but there's a lot of things we have to be careful to repeat, you know. Certainly, we receive that same spirit that indwells them. That same spirit that came on them comes on us and indwells us. But it doesn't happen in the same way, I believe. You know, certainly it can. God can do what he wants. But for the most part, it doesn't happen the same way. Because Acts is a transitional book where they went from Jesus being gone to now the spirit being present. You and I are on this side of Pentecost now. Another question you may have, too, what about tongues? Here they're filled with the Spirit, and then they do what? They speak in tongues, other languages. And these other Jews who are there, from every corner of the Roman Empire, 
They're baffled. They, they basically say in verse 7, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? You know what they're saying? Are not all these guys rednecks? Are not all these guys uneducated hicks? Because Galilee was the country folks. You know? How can they be speaking another language in our own dialect? Well, the only answer they could be is because the Spirit enabled them to. Before I answer this question, I want you to think for a second. In the Old Testament, do we see tongues show up? Not really. I mean, when the Spirit comes on people, do you know what they often do? They will speak, though. They will prophesy. We see that in Numbers. We see that with King Saul, that when the Spirit often comes on people, they prophesy. And here we see the Spirit coming upon the early apostles, and what do they do? They speak, and certainly they're prophesying, but they're also speaking in tongues, other languages. And I think God gave them this ability as a sign to the early church and those listening that God was doing something amazing, that the Spirit was coming upon them. In fact, you could even argue, if you know the story of Babel, you know that story in Genesis 11 when God confuses their languages, God is now uniting his people under one spirit and really reversing Babel right then and there. God is bringing back all people united under his spirit. So is tongues something we do today? Is it something we repeat? Well, you'll have to come to another sermon sometime, and we'll talk about, more about it later. <laughs> Let me go to the third one. You guys are doing so well. I know I'm going kind of long. The Holy Spirit's coming has made all the difference for us now. Number three, well, how? The Holy Spirit is available for all kinds of people. How does it make a difference now? Well, it now means the Holy Spirit is available for all kinds of people. Remember I said in the Old Testament that the Spirit only came on certain people, selective people. We don't see that happening here. In verse 1 it says, they were all together in one place. In verse 3, the tongues of fire, God's presence appears and rests on each of them. In verse 4, it doesn't say that just Peter was filled with the Spirit. They were all filled with the Spirit. Isn't that great? And then in verses 5 through 13, Luke spends a long time showing us where all these Jews who were scattered because of various reasons were back in Jerusalem from all these different corners of the Roman Empire, coming back, hearing the mighty works of God. Luke is showing us that, his, that God's gospel, God's spirit, is available to all. Here's a map. I'll show you a map. In verses 9 through 11, Luke spends a long time telling us where they're from. And probably a lot of you had no clue where that stuff was, right? <laughs> But let me show you where some of that stuff is. Because it says in verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia. You know where that's at? Well, Jerusalem's right in the center. And just to the east, over here, is all those regions, you know, near Iran, that area. And then he starts to go north. Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in verse 10. That's all this region here, north of Jerusalem, in modern-day Turkey. So he starts out east of Jerusalem and then goes north. And then he says, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, that's like North Africa. He starts to go south and west. He says, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Rome is over here. There it's up there by the boot, excuse me. (laughs) Both Jews and proselytes, that's converts to Judaism. Cretans, that's this island right here in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And Arabians, you know, Arab, 
That's North Africa. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So Luke basically says, you know, Jerusalem is the center of the known world in his, in his mind. Let's go east, let's go north, let's go west, let's go south. Every Jew from the entire known world, the Roman Empire, is hearing the mighty works of God. Now, remember what Jesus said? You will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, which they're in Jerusalem, in all Judea, which there's people from Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Already, they are fulfilling that, because the ends of the earth has come to them. And they are spreading that gospel, and it's going to go out from there. Isn't that cool? I think by Luke showing this right here from the get-go, he's reminding us in his church that his word, his gospel, is available for all, that his spirit is available for all. And I think that same spirit that was available for all back then is still available to us today. No matter what tribe or nation or tongue you speak, no matter where you're from, whether you're from North Lima or South Lima, wherever you're at, God's spirit is available to you. No matter what race you are or economic class or life experience, God is showing us right here that he is forming a new community that's not defined by the things that we often define our communities by, but we're defined by the Spirit and by his Son. You know, this week I had the privilege of having coffee with another pastor, and he was a guy twice my age, African-American. He preaches a lot more uh, boisterously than I do, you could say. (laughs) Very animated guy. And in many ways, he and I are very different. But as I listened to him talk about Jesus and his vision for his church, I found myself getting excited. And I began to think, man, where else would we be hanging out were it not for Jesus? He has that same spirit that I have. Even though he's twice my age, different race, he's working differently but in the same way. And I think one of the signs that you're being spirit-led in your life is that you start to have a passion for people unlike you. You start to have a passion for the nations, for every tribe and tongue and nation, to get God's Spirit through Jesus Christ, because He's working in you. And that's what He's doing right here and there on the day of Pentecost. Let's go to the last thing. So we said the Holy Spirit's coming has made all the difference. It means that God's presence and glory are available to us now. All of us can now be filled with the Spirit now. The Holy Spirit is available for all kinds of people. And then lastly, it means that God's power is available for us in mission. Because the day of Pentecost has happened, we have that power that Jesus said would come. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And certainly this early group, they were testifying in power, weren't they? You know, that day there was going to be 3,000 come to Christ. We'll see that next week. They were speaking in power, and and really God was doing it all. They just prayed, God shows up, and they speak in other tongues. It wasn't as if, like, hey guys, let's speak in tongues today. That'll really impress them. No, God, God showed up, spoke through them, and many came to Christ. By the way, if you're curious about speaking in tongues, I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 14. We'll talk about that eventually. But you'll see here that speaking in tongues is a little bit different function than in 1 Corinthians 14. Here we see they're speaking in tongues for evangelism's sake. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about speaking in tongues for private worship and for public edification of the church. So it's a little bit different here. That's just a teaser for when we get into tongues. (laughs) But if you go back to here, they really don't do a lot. In fact, you you could argue that God does most of it. He just uses them to open their mouths to speak, and they have power 
for witness. You know, I think we often underestimate this power. I mean, what if we knew that we have the power of God in dwelling us, in leading us, in guiding us on a sake for mission? How many of you are ever intimidated when you try to share about Christ? Or you feel that tugging of the Spirit like, okay, go talk with that person about Jesus. I know I am. I start getting nervous. But what if you remembered that God's very presence is with you, and not just on you, but in you, and empowering you, and leading you, that, that God's Spirit wants that person come, to come to Christ more than you do? What if we remembered that we have this incredible power source living inside of us? And I think it's hard for us to comprehend, so I want to share an illustration from a guy I really appreciate. It's by a scholar named Derek Thomas. And he says, to understand this power, what it was like after versus before Pentecost... He says, consider this illustration. Picture a huge dam for hydroelectric power under construction, like the Aswan High Dam on the Nile River, which is 375 feet high and 11,000 feet across. This was constructed in 1953, but wasn't in full use until 1972, when all 12 turbines with their 10 billion kilowatt hour capacity were unleashed. And there was enough power with this to light every city in Egypt at the time. And he says, the point is that during the lengthy period of construction, the Nile River kept flowing. It wasn't completely stopped. Even as the reservoir was filling behind the dam, part of the river was allowed to flow past because the country, the country folk in Egypt depended on it for their survival. They drank from it. They washed in it. They watered their crops. They turned their mill wheels all from the Nile River. But on the day when the reservoir poured through the turbines, on the day when the dam was unleashed, A great power was unleashed that spread far beyond the few folk downriver and brought possibilities they only dreamed of. Pentecost was like that. Before Pentecost, the river of God's Spirit blessed the people of Israel. It was their very life. But after Pentecost, the power of the Spirit spread out to light the whole world. And with such power, Pentecost changed everything. So he's saying it's like that dam that was unleashed And it's like that in our life, too, when it's unleashed in our life, too. Pentecost changes everything. I want to close with two final things, and I'll be brief on this, I promise. But I think it's worth saying so there's no confusion. First, Pentecost is a unique event, but it's not unique in one sense. It's unique in that, you know, sometimes people will pray, Lord, send Pentecost again. And I would say, well, he's already sent it, you know. We already have God's power. We already have God's presence, you know. But if by that they mean, Lord, let us realize the effects of Pentecost today, I would say, amen, brother. Amen, sister. You know, Pentecost is unique in that we're not going to go through that day like they did. You know, it's not going to happen in the same way because you and I receive the Spirit when we believe in Jesus. But in terms of the effect of Pentecost, of being unleashed for mission and power, man, those same effects are there for us Today, So I would pray, Lord, may we realize the effects of Pentecost today. The last thing. You may be sitting here wondering, you know, I never talked about how can you and I receive the Spirit. I'm just kind of assuming that you have it. Well, it all comes back to Jesus. I don't want to give away next week's sermon, but Peter will say, if you want this gift of the Spirit, you have to repent and believe in Jesus. Because Jesus is the one pouring out His Spirit. Jesus is the one who ascended into heaven so that He could pour out the Spirit by the Father. 
And so if you don't have the Spirit today, if you're not sure if you do, you know, I encourage you not to focus on the Spirit, but to focus on Jesus. Because you receive the Spirit when you believe in Jesus. If you've already received the Spirit when you believed, I encourage you not to focus on the Spirit, but to keep focusing on Jesus. Because the Spirit is all about Jesus. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. Would you pray with me?